This is The School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland, the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools. Parents are very savvy about school choice. Holistic education, one that develops all the dimensions of a child. I'm very positively minded about the future. I think our schools are doing a great job. Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland. Welcome to The School Bell, a podcast about issues of importance to Queensland independent schools. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Michael Banny. Michael is the fourth partner of M3 Architecture and has more than 30 years' experience in architectural practice, 20 years of which has been in the design of learning spaces for schools. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much. So, Michael, why is it important for schools to have well-designed learning spaces? Well, I think there's a whole range of reasons, but um, there's a lot of research that connects well-designed spaces to pedagogical outcomes for students, uh, the well-being of teachers, the entire school community, and fostering kind of a wonderful experience for students, teachers and parents alike um, through architecture um, and landscape as well, of course. So you have the landscaping as part of that? You take that into consideration? Oh, definitely. I think um, often we find in schools there's a lot of focus given to buildings themselves and the spaces in between buildings tend to sometimes be leftover spaces and we would like to think in the work that we try and encourage that the outdoor spaces themselves are as or sometimes even more important than the buildings themselves because it's all the spaces uh, and times in between structured learning that um, are as memorable to students as the um, those kind of structured teaching moments Um, the social sort of experiences of school life are um, often lived out in landscape spaces in between buildings yes and in independent schools we often say about educating the whole child so it's not just what happens inside the classroom it's uh, a lot more outside as well oh indeed and i think the um particularly in our contemporary environment in terms of um, screen time etc the more we can encourage students outside into well-designed attractive well-lit well-ventilated spaces um, the, the better the whole person becomes how does a good design contribute to a school's culture well it's a great question and it actually taps into um, a lot of my interests and a lot of the work that we've done in terms of um, finding school culture or finding college culture, whatever that might mean. So every every entity that we ever work with is different one to the next to the next and they all have really interesting uh, histories and they all have um, really interesting ways of understanding how they want to teach uh, students in their own particular way, whether that's... Um, doesn't matter whether it's a Christian school or a secular school, they all have their own particular um, cultures and... So what we try and do um, is find ways of manifesting those things into architecture and planning. Uh, It's quite common to walk around a school and really not get a sense of what a place is really like through what you see and what you experience. And so right from the very start of a project in terms of master planning, we try and instill the work that we do with a strong sense of the culture of an organisation. Well, you've done quite a lot of work with uh, Brisbane Girls Grammar School, in particular one of our member schools, um, and you've done, and a few awards have been associated with those works with the uh, Creative Learning Centre, the Research Learning Centre, and then the Science Learning Centre. So what was your brief, and did you go and walk around the whole school to get their culture at the same time when you first started? Oh, absolutely. We... um We've had a long association with Girls Grammar dating back to 
before the year 2000, I think. Uh, we've now done, I think, four or five separate projects for them. And the interesting thing about Girls' Grammar in terms of learning about their culture is, um, I think it's summed up in their byline, which is exceptional scholarship. Um, and being a, a non-Christian uh, school, a secular school, they see themselves as almost like a microcosm of the city and being right on the edge of the city, you can almost um, can't be any closer to the city without actually being in it. Um, and coupling that with the notion of exceptional scholarship, ideas evolved around a kind of a cusp tertiary type campus like school, high density. Um, but of course, with high density comes the need for highly curated gardens. So a very simple master plan evolved, which was um, a beautiful central garden with uh, high de- has higher density flanking buildings as required, but all of this pivoting around the um, the heritage building, the main building which fronts Gregory Terrace that most Brisbaneites would be familiar with. So a day in the life at Girls Grammar, you um, come off the hustle and bustle of Gregory Terrace around the beautiful historic main building into the central garden at the back uh, but then the buildings that we've built for them um, are six, five to six to eight storey buildings. Um, and so you really feel like you're in a, in a, in a miniature city um, and really preparing students for life in the city or life at universities uh, at the back end of their school, school experience. So the buildings that we've done are many and varied. In fact, the school's been um, a wonderful client in the way that they've enabled each of the projects that we've done there to be um, experimental to some degree. So the Creative Learning Centre was led by notions surrounding creativity. So that particular project was uh, underpinned by a very simple idea about making connections. And so that's an idea that connects the school to the city, connects um, the building to the heritage within the site. It connects students um, in terms of a social network. It also connects disciplines, so music and art and design technology. But the thing that really makes connections in that building is right in the centre of the building is the food. Um, oh, okay. So it's <laughs> oh, like yes, don't get between kids and lunch. <laughs> the, the meat in the middle of the sandwich, uh, which draws everyone together into the, into the building and makes it a really buzzing um social atmosphere so it's again this very kind of tight relationship between structured learning and social learning uh, in that particular case. What about the research learning centre that's been um, awarded a building of the year so why was that? Well that particular project is um, it contains a library uh, and uh, as well as a range of classroom spaces and because the school is so uh, landlocked and there is no ability to, to spread out in any way. This quite ambitious brief um, to accommodate the book collection of the school, as well as something in the order of 10 or so classrooms, um, all had to occur between a 100-year-old fig tree and a series of existing buildings. So the only option was to go up, not out. Um, and so decisions were then made about how to, how to make a library in a multi-storey building. And to the Director of Information Services credit, who really only wanted ever wanted a one or two story library, we ended up with a five story library and wow. the um, the way that was um, understood conceptually was that it was um, almost like a vertical 
labyrinth. Uh, so you go in, on the hunt for information through a, almost like a vertical labyrinth. So the build the library itself is a series of interconnected split-level volumes that lace their way up through this five-storey building with all of the um, classroom spaces interspersed vertically amongst uh, the book collection spaces. And what um, I think works particularly well is that, um, like a lot of the work that we do, we try and see all of these things through the eyes of sometimes the smallest people, so a Year 7 girl potentially, and how she might feel um, on a rainy day or on her first day even to find herself at home within a building that um, makes sense to her and offers her something um, something on a number of occasions you could have a student who's cramming for an exam or you could have a group of girls wanting to do some um, group assignment work together so finding a place that works in all of these different scenarios and in that particular building because people can climb as far up to the fifth story as they choose to find their place and all of this um, movement occurs with this wonderful hundred year old fig tree as the backdrop of all the movement that goes on within the building. So you can see the fig tree throughout this um, glass? Or... Yes, so the fig tree um, is approximately the same scale as the facade that sits behind it so the whole time you're moving up and down the building you almost feel like you're climbing the tree to some extent. Principal Brisbane Girls Grammar School, Jacinda Isla. A beautiful building will have a transformative effect on education if you've really thought about it deeply and considered um, how teaching and learning occurs in that space, how you build in um, flexibility for the future, understanding that uh, methods of teaching and learning continue to evolve. Um, and if you also just consider the impact that um, the aesthetic elements have and also how they um, provide for uh, interaction and social spaces, um, then I would say that um, these buildings have had a very significant impact um, on teaching and learning at our school. So the more rigour, the more depth, the more planning, the more meticulous attention to small details in the earlier stages, I think the more successful the outcome later on. I think it's important to get um, a whole range of people who may be interested in this building to put forth their ideas. Um, I think one of the great challenges is to um, give people space to open their minds. Um, people are often quite humble in what they ask for, so they need to be given permission to at least um, consider uh, more expansively um, ideas for a new building. I think you need a whole range of different perspectives and you need to have a very strong sense about who ultimately this building is going to serve. So if you do all of that and create a very clear brief, I think then you have an opportunity to be a little flexible as that brief starts to evolve. How do you um, design for inclusion? I think there's a number of different versions of inclusion and I think inclusivity is um, it's such a fundamental, fundamental proposition. One of the, I think, easiest ways to sort of understand is from the perspective of social inclusion uh, because if you're being socially inclusive, I think pretty much most other things follow examples it would include making the, this social centre flanked by all of the important moments of a school whether it's the library so students who are compelled to go to the library frequently aren't made to feel um, as though people who 
sit in the refectory all day or all of lunch are somehow better or different. So we try and find this sort of idea of a centre of gravity around which everything revolves and everything is convenient so that um, people feel included and together in and, and there's a sense of cohesion and, and kind of school spirit built around this idea. So it become, it goes from being something to be concerned about and something to be aware of to something that's actually a great... Um, source of great spirit for a school because everyone is drawn together in the end. So you want them to be feeling included wherever they are in whatever building, whatever area or whatever space and also you did mention ability so obviously students with disability in different areas of ability you have to take that into account I would imagine. Yes I think it's a matter of making if you talk about whether it's physical abilities or disabilities or intellectual abilities of varying kinds that everybody is given the same experiences um, and so not differentiating paths of travel or not differentiating um, where people are given opportunities to sit and eat or 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 play so this affects our attitude from right from the outset particularly when we're dealing with steep sites or complex sites finding ways of all of these spaces coming together in ways that are equitable um, and moving beyond the notion of equity to that being background information that you're actually ending up with just plain exciting spaces to be um, and the equity part just works inherently as part of that. You're working on another couple of our schools at the moment too, Clayfield College and Fairhome College and St Patrick's College in Townsville are all member schools so can you go through a little bit of those? Oh yeah absolutely. So what's happening at Clayfield College? Well, we've completed a, a um, uh, master plan for Clayfield College and um, it's uh, a, comp- a complex site in many respects. It's um, got apartment buildings that surround it and remnant apartment buildings actually still within the site. So part of the master plan, which um, uh, is recently completed so there's an amount of confidentiality around it still um but part of part of the um part of the master plan um outcome is to consider how how people get in and out of the place actually and making the arrival and departure sequence something of great joy for the entire school community not a bugbear principal clayfield college kathy bishop Years ago, when you see the old maps of, of Clayfield College, uh, even with the horse-drawn carriages, they used to always have their entrance from Sandgate Road. And so the schools still got that at the front of the school. And here we have, um, for an inner city school, we've got you know, um, an oval, green grass. Whilst we are a co-ed primary school, we are a girls-only secondary school. And not many secondary girls' schools have green grass um, in, the, in the inner city. And keeping all of that alive and keeping um, the opportunity to have a, an entrance to the school means that we will then use Bayview Terrace uh, as our drop-off area uh, to move up into the college. This is a 30-year plan, so um, we are looking at our preppies at the moment who they'll be finishing year 12 in you know, 20, 2032, and so they're going to be in the you know, the last half of the 21st century and they'll still be alive for the 22nd century and of course their children will be at school in the 22nd century. So I, I can see a lot of the ideas on how um, 
of M3 are taking us forward and making us relevant for for the 22nd century, but they have got this beautiful understanding of how to keep our tradition. And uh, we do have some heritage listed places um, in here as well, and to be able to keep them alive. And that keeps our faith with our old collegians, um, with our current community, and still sees those um, long held beliefs of many years still being prevalent in the college. Heritage listed buildings um, are wonderful things um, and they tell the story of a, of a school um, in and of themselves in some cases and we're always very careful to find out as much as we can about um, what, it, what the heritage, uh, the foundation building often, what it can tell us about a place and then build up a story that extends from that building and envisage a, a really wonderful future. So part of the master planning work and even the building work that we do tries to learn from the past but tell a story for today that projects a really wonderful story for the future. I think relationships are key and um, finding ways of designing to facilitate appropriate relationships is, is fundamental. And it starts with us um, thinking about a day in the life of any of these places, and it's a day in the life of a student or a day in the life of a parent or a teacher. It's one thing to think about students, um, even students who are in places that are K to 12, um, are there for 13 years. Uh, some teachers work at a, at a school for 20, 30 years, and so we try and think through the eyes of students, parents, teachers, administrators, um, alike and all of those things mean different things of course and then there are different scales so you've got um, a small student who's on his or her own um, trying to navigate the world through to the entire school community trying to come together uh, for a festival or an open day or whatever it might be so all of these uh, tiny little moments in school life or great big celebrations in school life need to be able to be um, managed and facilitated in a really wonderful and beautiful way uh, and anticipated through the architecture and the planning that um, that we do. But of course then there's this issue of um, efficiency. So you don't design any of these places for uh, once a year occasions. Everything's got to have double up of uses and multifunctionality and so on. And so a large part of what we try and do is figure out how to create spaces that are flexible. Um, but that are also somehow idiosyncratic of a place. So in some ways idiosyncrasy is a bad thing because it sometimes leads to inflexibility, but at the same time flexible spaces tend to be bland. So what we try and do is create a fine mix of both yes. in the work that we do. But in terms of the relationships between people, in terms of students and teachers, one thing that we've really put a lot of, a lot of thought and time into in recent times is um, the space between... The, a staff room and the social spaces of the school, some sort of interstitial space where students and teachers can come together um, and work together collaboratively, uh, whether it's sort of didactic help or whether it's um, less didactic and more collaborative work between teachers and students. And these spaces are incredibly popular spaces to, and have brought teachers and students much closer together into an environment that is um, structured enough to 
be obvious that it's there for a very, very purposeful space, but flexible enough that um, there's still lunchtime spaces before school, morning tea, lunchtime and after school type spaces. And during timetabled hours, they can still be used as classroom spaces as well, but it's a matter of positioning them appropriate, appropriately so that students who want to access a teacher can quite naturally spill out into a space that feels um, almost like a studio type environment where help help and conversations can be facilitated and thereafter you know you end up with issues to do with privacy and acoustics and all of those usual things that make place make spaces work um, work well for particular functions we're also I mean you're talking about relationships it's, there's also the relationship between the administration and the school itself so how, how we make um, Culturally, appro- culturally appropriate to any particular organisation, relationships between the principal, um, deputies, the college leadership team and the school itself. Some schools prefer for those things to be quite privately handled and others have a very different view. They want to have highly accessible uh, principles and so on. And these things are telling of the structure of an environment. Um, and we try. We work very closely with the schools that we're involved with to um, to find the right balance. I guess it's very individual, isn't it, to the schools? Um, so I'm just wondering, as again, when you were talking about the current works, uh, Fairhome College, can you talk us through what you're doing there? Fairhome's uh, its own very idiosyncratic uh, case. Again, really wonderful school up in Toowoomba. For those who don't know. Fairhome itself being part of establishment Toowoomba, having a fine Presbyterian heritage um, and the site itself having lots of remnant landscape from 100 years ago. And then there's the history of the college uh, being built up around an original homestead, which is also a 100-year-old, wonderful old house. And back in the original format, there was um, an an avenue that led up to a circular drive in front of the homestead. So part of the work that we're doing is trying to rediscover some of these uh, fantastic archetypes of old. Um, but then there's also being on virtually on the precipice of the Great Dividing Range, so this wonderful Australian icon with its own endemic landscape. Um, so we've tried to develop a master plan that works with all of those things, but then also draws out um, Fairhome's concern for pastoral care um, and also its history of Presbyterian um, faith and so all of those things have been put into the melting pot and a plan's come out the other end. Principal Fairhome College Toowoomba, Dr Linda Evans. One of the things that that has struck me through this whole process is just the influence of environment on the way that you feel. So the amount of natural light, you know, whether you can have a building without, um, you know, overuse of air conditioning, all those sorts of features and what you're looking at affects the way that you feel. And the more, I guess, the better you feel within a space and the more connected you are with the people who are in that space with you has a positive outcome on your ability to learn and to think. So... Um, I think we will feel better in the spaces um, where we're learning and that will influence learning outcomes. We don't have a patch of turf where we can put, 
you know, temporary buildings and, and do it that way. So we actually have to stage it very strategically. And that has been a really important part of the process also, is understanding how we can keep the school functioning while we're building. How long's the process when you've come to this, as you said, you've done the immersion, you've talked to the key group, you've got a master plan out the other end. Is it is it usually the first master plan's it or does it take a few iterations? Generally speaking, what we try and find is a beautiful story that surrounds everything that we've heard, a story that gathers up all of the idiosyncrasies of a place and can encapsulate all of those things into something that suggests something about planning and architecture. Um, And usually it's the story that precedes the plan. So it's an approach to things, it's an approach to culture, it's an approach to pedagogy that you can then begin to see through architecture and planning. So often what we find is it's the story that's the hard thing to find. It's the drawing that follows that's almost the easy bit. So as we started at the beginning and uh, coming to the end, where you have 30 years of experience, but about 20 of those has been with schools. So how do schools really differ from architectural design? Oh, it's a great question, and uh, it's not something I've really stopped to think too much about, to be perfectly honest. But I think um, if I, as a parent of three daughters, um, who've the oldest of whom is now at university, um, I have a sense of what it's like to be a teenage girl or a or even a primary school girl or someone who's leaving year 12. And I think the way that I would say designing educational environments differs from other things is a really sort of deep engagement with trying to imagine what life's like for students in these places and try and almost see through their eyes. And I wouldn't quite go so far as to say that I design any of the buildings that I do for any of my children, but I certainly try to imagine how they feel in space and how they want to be with their friends or how they really need to be told things and taught things in a fairly didactic way at times and and all of the different kinds of um, experiences that school life holds for people that really shape people's lives thereafter Um, and the architecture can really provide a positive experience for people or the contrary and so I think we've spent our entire uh, working lives trying to make really exciting places um, that walk a line between being extremely practical and pragmatic but somehow offering up something to do with school culture and the socialisation that often is the thing that people remember at the end of their school lives more than maybe some other aspects. The best feedback that we get is just going back and seeing it for ourselves. We don't often get a report card uh, from schools as to how buildings are performing or how the school's performing as a totality, but the mere fact that we're invited back and see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears how uh, things are working and smiles on faces is really the point at the end of the day. That's right. The getting you back is obviously the biggest compliment that it's working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to The School Bell, an Independent Schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au. 
To catch our next episode, you can subscribe to ISQ's The School Bell on iTunes or Google Play or anywhere you get your podcasts.